0: And we're back on Ariva Martin in real time. It's Avi Bernard in Fort Ariva Martin tonight. And I am very pleased to be joined by senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, Mike Sozan. And uh, Mike, you've also had extensive political experience. You were the uh, former chief of staff to former Virginia Senator Jim Webb. You worked with former Colorado Senator Mark Udall, as well as former Florida Senator Bill Nelson before uh, Florida went, went full red state. And so, uh, thank you for being here. Really appreciate your time.
1: I'm happy to be on with you.
0: So, let's talk about these uh, almost countless indictments that Trump is facing now 78, uh, one for every year plus one, with the potential for another dozen coming out of um, Fulton County uh, DA Willis's office in the next week or so. Uh, So, overall, where where would you say? uh, Trump's legal trouble stands. Is he, I mean, for, for you and me, if we were indicted once, we'd probably be, you know, full red alert, you know, full, uh, my life is in crisis. You know, am I going to go to prison? Uh, not Donald Trump. He, he is still enjoying the support of the majority of Republican voters. Uh, this Republican primary seems to be over before it even started. Um, it, is Trump in serious legal jeopardy right now.
1: Yes, he is in serious legal jeopardy, and I think that the latest indictment from Jack Smith related to the Trump plot to overturn the election, uh, in addition to the others, is a serious test for our democracy. It's a serious test for the principle that no one should be above the law, not even a former president. And I think that the various indictments that have already come down and the various cases are are strong. And you're right that there might be a further indictment in the coming days out of Georgia, which will be a a state-based indictment, a little bit different than the most recent federal ones. But, you know, focusing on this most recent federal one that a grand jury handed up and Jack Smith of the Department of Justice announced that is the that is the one that I think is going to result in perhaps the most important trial in our nation's history. That is involving allegations that a former president, Donald Trump, tried to stop the peaceful transition of power through multiple schemes, through alleged lies. And um it's going to be an important day for our our nation, and it's going to be a time for Trump to have to answer in court um you know he's he's entitled to the presumption of innocence as all Americans are, but I think a lot of us who who know and watched what's unfolded, who re- read, read the allegations, we know that he um he's going to have some explaining to do
0: He certainly does have some explaining to do and He's lucky that he is getting the presumption of innocence because he is on tape committing crimes. He is on tape in the state of Georgia uh, asking uh, the, the Secretary of State there to find him more votes which of course was refused. He's on tape committing other crimes. Uh, he is on, on the record at least uh, in, in the, the recounting of former Pre- uh, Vice President Mike Pence and how many times he was asked to, to illegally uh, overturn that election and he he seems to be pretty dead to rights. Is this this latest set of indictments uh, about Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election, is this kind of more serious for him than the dozens of other indictments he's facing in the other cases?
1: I think this is the most serious and momentous of the cases for democracy. I mean, in some ways... I think looking at the other case that that I know you and your your viewers are, are very familiar with, which is the secret the the case involving Trump taking secret documents from the White House and 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 plotting to hide them and not return them, that might in some ways be more cut and dried case. It's it's more limited on the facts. There's some really compelling facts allegations there. Um, but this this case regarding overthrowing the election is uh, a very compelling one as well. Jack Smith did a pretty masterful job in laying out the allegations. And one thing I'll note, and, and I know you know this too, I think this lends power to the allegations in that, that latest indictment from Jack Smith, is that almost every single fact that makes up the allegations about all the criminal wrongdoing come from Trump's closest allies, his own attorneys, his own attorney general, his own appointed top government officials, his own former campaign officials, and on and on. There's almost no fact in there that relies on a quote-unquote political enemy of Donald Trump. This wasn't about a witch hunt. This is using facts and circumstances either directly from Donald Trump's mouth, which we've all heard in many cases, whether it's from his speeches or on tape, Or, as I said, from people who were his biggest supporters and allies for a long time. And that's why I think there's a lot of there's there's a hill, a a steep hill for him to climb in this case.
0: We're speaking to senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, Mike Sozan. So, Mike, you mentioned there's a steep hill for him to climb. And Trump's latest attorney, John Laurel, is trying to climb that hill. Using a defense of "oh, it was First Amendment." How? I mean, what do you mean? He was just trying to say that it, that the election was stolen. That that's all he was. You're trying to say that he can't even challenge uh, with his words that the, that the election might be corrupt. What do you make of this defense in light of all the evidence that John Laurel is trying to put forth, and he's on all all the TV shows, and he he's really making it seem like he's he's got something here. What do you make of this defense they're trying to put forward, at least thus far?
1: I think it's a fairly weak defense, Avi, and we'll see what how they fully develop it. But, it, you know, first of all, Jack Smith and the indictment made very clear up front. This is not about political free speech rights. Donald Trump has the right to say what he wants to under the First Amendment. So Jack Smith says that up front. Not about that. What it's about are the actions that Donald Trump then took, the allegedly illegal actions that he set in place to actually overturn the election results. So it's like if you you walk into a bank and you say, I think all my money's here and you guys are legally keeping my money and I want it you're allowed to say that on the first amendment but the second that you start to actually go forward to hold up the bank teller and to commit the crime of bank robbery that's when you run into trouble so the first amendment line of is not very convincing to me nor you know there also his lawyer has raised another line of defense which is Donald Trump truly believed he lost that he won the election And therefore, he was doing whatever he needed to following that to carry out the fact that he won the election to protect his victory. Again, under the same line of reasoning, that's that's not I don't think that that's going to fly with a jury of everyday Americans. Um. You don't have the right to take actions to overturn an election, even if you thought that you won that election. There are ways to go to do it, to go about it properly, like filing lawsuits, which he did over 50 of them. He lost all of those. Um, so th- there are ways to go about it properly. And then there are ways to go about it improperly and illegally. And so I think some of these defenses, at least to me, I'm I'm a lawyer by training, although I haven't practiced in a while. Like you alluded to, I, I kind of went into a little more politics politics and policy. But I think I know enough of what I remember from practicing law that I, I think that these defenses are starting off on a weak footing. But that's why Donald Trump is also trying to color the jury pool already. He's trying to say this is all a witch hunt. He's doing what he does a lot of times, which is, which is to wage a public relations battle and hope that that changes people's minds more broadly.
0: And it's funny that John Lauro is even willing to represent Donald Trump because one of the things that John Laurel is, is helping Trump do is throw his previous lawyers under the bus. One of their defenses that, that they're trying to put forth as well is oh he he was listening to his lawyers. You know uh, John Eastman is a world-class constitutional scholar. You know Trump was just listening to people who knew better than him. He was just following their advice. How can you try to punish him for that? What do you make of that defense?
1: So I've um you know I would say that of the various potential defenses that's one that at least holds a little bit of merit except for I, I want to bring something else up and on, on its face, it is true that, People should be able to rely on the advice of their of their lawyers. You know, if you and I got into criminal trouble, we would want to rely on a lawyer or even if before we were in that criminal trouble. We wanted to, you know, figure out a plan of action. We consult a lawyer. We want to be able to trust that lawyer. But here's the thing. Almost every credible lawyer surrounding Donald Trump in the period leading up to and after the election told him that this that these schemes were illegal, that he lost the election that what he was that he, what he and those crackpot lawyers as Mike Pence even called them what they were proposing to Donald Trump was unconstitutional and illegal he heard that from a ton of credible attorneys so and he chose to ignore those credible attorneys and go with people who uh, wanted to tell him what he wanted to hear He has a habit of doing that. We know that over the course of his career, he surrounded himself with yes men. He fires the people who are not yes men. So that's why I think that that theory holds a tiny bit of weight. You know, people should be able to listen to their lawyer's advice. But here, there's a lot of countervailing facts there. So I'm not sure he's going to get very far on that on that defense either if he raises it.
0: So, Mike, I want to ask what you think about uh, the news today that uh, special counsel, Jack Smith's office is proposing a January 2nd, 2024 trial date. It seems a little bit ambitious. Mm-hmm. I love the, I love the goal of having uh, the, the date in 2024. As soon as the the new year's day holiday is over, you can't get, you can't have a date any earlier in 2024. And you, I don't want to have it obviously in December because of all of the, the Christmas holidays and you know, November, you got Thanksgiving and just the whole from November on is basically holiday season in in the United States. And so it seems like they picked that date because that's the soonest that they could possibly have it. It it couldn't have been before November because it's just not enough time for for the lawyers to prepare. But is this something that special counsel Jack Smith and his office think they can actually uh, get to happen on January 2nd? Or is it kind of like the first chip that they're throwing out so that even if it gets denied, it'll get pushed back maybe a couple months after that. Maybe they'll get a date in February or March.
1: Avi, you're right that it's ambitious, but I also think it's realistic it also is perhaps the opening salvo um, in and, and the sides and the kind of presenting their cases in front of the judge as to when the trial date should start. We saw a little bit of that in the secret documents case where Jack Smith had an ambitious date. Donald Trump said, "Let's delay it till all the way after the election," and the judge said, "No, let, we're going to do it in May of next year." She kind of uh, picked something in between. So in this in this case regarding the uh, the uh, his attempt to overturn the election. It is ambitious uh to start in January, but I think realistic. And because Jack Smith also set out a whole schedule of what would occur between now and the trial starting. And and it really is in line with how a lot of criminal trials proceed, with all of the all of the steps that need to come. Uh, the process steps that need to come before the trial actually starts, like turning over evidence to Donald Trump, giving them time to review it, etc. So I think it is realistic. It, it, it obviously remains to be seen what, what the judge is going to think. I, I've, I've looked into a little bit of her past history on cases. She's, she's been working, actually, on a lot of cases related to, to the January 6th insurrection. but um, And she usually tends to be uh, pretty realistic, uh, and uh, pretty by the rules, and has has usually uh, you know agreed that there, agreed with uh, with litigants uh, that there be a speedy trial that things not be delayed forever. And the speedy trial rights don't just go towards the defendant; the government also has an interest in speedy trial, which Jack Smith laid out. So again, long winded way of saying I agree with you. It's really ambitious, but I think there's a chance this really could start in early part of next year.
0: Well, I'm really glad to hear you say that. You're giving me some hope here. But speaking of uh, Judge Chutkin, uh, the complete antithesis of Judge uh, Aileen Cannon in Florida in the in the documents case, what do you think is going to happen, or or I guess is is likely to happen with with I guess the special counsel office trying to limit the amount of information that Trump is is allowed to share, and and kind of it seems like Trump is almost daring the judge. To put a protective order on him. I mean, what can she really do? She can't put him in jail in contempt of court because th- that might be uh, politically damaging or it might backfire. What can the judge do to to keep him from intimidating witnesses and and, and talking negatively about her and the
1: case? What can she What can she uh, practically do? It's such a good question. You know, the judges in all of these cases are in a bit of a bind because they they, they want to make sure that Donald Trump as a defendant is following their rules against inti- trying to intimidate the prosecutor, intimidate witnesses, intimidate the judges and their families, um, talk about information uh, publicly that shouldn't be talked about. Um, all the, all the rules that normal defendants follow, but we know that this is not a normal defendant in part because he is running for president at the same time. And he does have political free speech rights. So, and, uh, you know, and and I think the judges all don't want to heighten the drama around this and, and heighten the challenges of trying to have him as a defendant. But they also know they can't let him get away with it, right? If you give him an inch, he's going to take a mile. So they're all in a precarious position here. Um, judge. Canon in the secret documents case, she was a, appointed by Donald Trump. Uh, she was not rated as very qualified for that position. She's a very young lawyer, not much experience with federal court. She already got slapped down once by uh, the circuit court in a, in, a rela- in a related action months ago. The circuit court, and it was conservatives who told her- Very conservative strayed, court. Right, very conservative court who told her she strayed way outside the, the guardrails that she needs to stay in. Um, So, uh, people are really watching to see how she's going to conduct herself. She's done, you know, she said that the trial date should start uh, in spring of next year. That was pretty good. But then she made a recent ruling that uh, calls into question maybe some of her reasoning. So, the the jury's still out a little bit uh, figuratively on Judge Cannon. She knows she's under a microscope and I hope for the good of democracy she's going to conduct herself, you know, above board in the way the federal judges should.
0: All right, Mike, last question for you. We'll get you out of here on this one. With the potential and probable charges coming from Fonnie Willis's office in Fulton County, Georgia, do you think that changes the calculus at all for Donald Trump? Or is, since that is those, that trial, if charges are brought, that trial will be brought later on. Uh, th- does that change anything? Or at this point, is it just, uh, uh, are we at the point of diminishing returns?
1: I think that, you know, it's going to be the fourth criminal indictment, um, and I don't know how much it will change in terms of Donald Trump's calculus for how to get through the next year. I mean, he's, he's already putting out really nasty things about her, uh, putting out a, an ad about her, which is, again, way beyond the bounds of how defendants normally should be able uh, – uh, potential defendants in that case should be allowed to act – one thing, though, Avi, I mean, that I think is important for everybody to remember, though, that's different about that case. That if 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 uh, Willis does indict him in Georgia, is he cannot do anything about trying to get rid of state charges. He cannot later pardon himself like he could on federal charges. Or if he, if when, if he's elected president again, he, he you know if he's elected president again, he might tell the Justice Department to drop any of any related any of the charges, any of the trials that might be ongoing, and Definitely, get rid of yeah. them. Right. So but but in terms of the state charges in Georgia and there's also some New York state charges, he cannot he cannot get rid of those charges or pardon himself. Those would remain most likely. So that is going to be part of his calculation as well Um, in terms of in terms of how all these charges are coming down the road. And he's, he's certainly juggling a lot with with potentially four cases. He's got some civil cases as well out there. And he's trying to run for president. I mean, this is unprecedented.
0: It truly is. Mike Sozan, senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, also worked uh, on the staffs of former Virginia Senator Jim Webb, former Colorado Senator Mark Udall, and former Florida Senator Bill Nelson. Thank you so much for your time, Mike. Really appreciate your
1: perspective. Glad to be here. Thank
0: you. Thank you. And we'll hopefully uh, be able to talk with you soon. When we come forward, we are going to be catching up with our own KBLA entertainment correspondent, Robin Ayers, going to talk about The latest in entertainment news, some entertainment stories that that jumped out to her this week, some things that that maybe we we might have missed because we're all focused on all this Trump stuff and all of this this political stuff. But we we do care about uh, what's happening in our culture, and we'll we'll get a taste of that when we come forward right here on KBLA Talk 1580 after this news, traffic, and sports update. And we're back on Ariva Martin in real time. I'm Avi Bernard in for Ariva Martin today. And I am very pleased to be joined by KBLA's own, the host of The Raw Report, which airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific. But you might be listening from anywhere because Robin is just that awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Robin.
2: I appreciate you. Can you hear me
0: okay, Avi? I can. I can. And I know you have your show coming up at 6, so I really appreciate you taking the time to join us uh, leading into your show. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to sit with you for, for a change, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm usually on your show. And it's it's great to finally have you on here with me. But uh I just kind of wanted to to get your your general feeling, Robin, of um of what it's like to be an entertainment professional. I mean, there there's always so much serious stuff happening, you know. There's you know, the politics and wars and you know, uh, fires and just things happening all over the country, and all over the world. Um, but I, I appreciate you and the work you do because you kind of you kind of lighten things up for us and, and make it so we're not so focused on on all of this serious stuff all the time. I mean, I think it's important to to kind of be able to take a, a deep breath sometimes and talk about stuff that's fun. So, but what about your perspective as an entertainment professional um, in in serious times? What is it like?
2: Um, well, I appreciate that question and it's interesting because as much as (laughs) there are so many things going on in the world, obviously there's so many things going on in the entertainment business, but you know, Avi, I've actually never, and you know this about me, I've never tried to focus on, um, the salacious thing. There's a ton of things that are, that's how entertainment actually sells, right? You, you sell all the gossip, you sell, you know, the news things and all of that. But I believe that even below the surface on a lot of these stories, there's something more meaningful to talk about. So and that's just my own preference. That's obviously not the I've been blessed to sort of bring my own narrative and bring my own lens into the entertainment business and still be accepted. Because a lot of people, they want to go for the, you know, the, the fast, you know, the gotcha moments. They want to go for uh, all of those types of things. But it's not necessarily what I focus on so um but what it's like gosh you know it is it is ever changing it is always fast paced i feel like oftentimes i just need to keep my keep my eye like one eye open (laughs) just because there's always something going on and i don't want to miss anything because it's so fast paced
0: you got to keep that third eye open as they say uh but uh there's been as you said there's been so much happening um there always is a lot happening but you know, it, it's important to stay tapped into the culture. And, and what about uh, some stories that have, or one or two stories that have, kind of stood out to you in the past week or so in, in terms of of entertainment news that people might have missed if they're not uh, if not as tapped in as you are.
2: Um, so many stories. Uh, in fact, you know, I talk about them on on my show, as you mentioned, on the Raw Report. But even just within a, a one hour show, there's. T- so much that I want to talk about that I can't get to. So I'm always just trying to talk about the, you know, uh, probably the, the more important headlines, um, just to kind of dig into them a little bit more. But there are so many other other things going on. Um, Jamie Foxx being one, you know, how he was just being criticized for a post that he, that he put out. And, you know, my thoughts on the matter, if you don't recall, you, I'm sure you did see this, but he was talking about fake friends and, if they did what they did to Jesus, what do you think they'll do to you? You know, that type of thing. And it's like, if you know, you know, you know what Jamie Foxx was talking about. You know that he was referring to friends and not Jewish people, but people wanted to now label him anti-Semitic because of his post. And it's, it's unfair. I feel like as a society, we've become a little bit more um, sensitive than what we're used to. That's another thing about this this business. It's very... It's very sensitive. It's very, very sensitive. So, um, that's something that I'm like, get off Jamie's back, (laughs) leave Jamie Foxx alone, because obviously we're just getting to him, uh, getting back with him, uh, from this medical issue that he had that we still don't know about really, really know about. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, he's been warmly welcomed or maybe coldly welcomed back into society with that, with that, uh, post that he put on Instagram.
0: Yeah, that was that was a big story. I I was I saw that Jamie Foxx apologized before I even saw what he was apologizing for. Because that's just kind of what came into uh, up on my timeline first back on, on the day that all that was happening. And I was like, wait, Jamie Foxx is apologizing for something? Because we we don't not because he's not someone who would apologize if he made a mistake, but because he's someone who we've never known to have any kind of drama, mm-hmm. any, any kind of issues. He's always just been extraordinary at what he does, you know, at, at one of the most talented individuals we've ever seen. I mean, as far as acting, mu- music, stand-up comedy. I mean, he can literally do it all. Impressions. I mean, he's such a talented and, and entertaining individual. Yeah. And, and me myself, as a Jewish person, uh I I didn't think he would he meant Jewish people. Um, but I do think that it is it is a, a very sensitive time and people sometimes will 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 Kind of see something that isn't there because they're they're already on high alert. Um, but I do think you have to always question the source, you know. And if it's someone like Jamie Fox who who hasn't ever had any incidents like that, hasn't ever given us any inkling that he's anti-Semitic, I, I mean, you got to take him at his word and say, yeah, I mean, he didn't mean it like that. And and that's that's and that's another thing, another thing, another thing that, in my opinion, is kind of. Uh, and I want to know what you think about this. Is is strange now because people will make a mistake and then they'll apologize. I'm not just specifically talking about Jamie, but I'm talking about in general, Mm -hmm. they'll apologize. And then people will will still be kind of jumping on them. Like, well, you shouldn't like what, when people apologize, if, if it's sincere, if if they're contrite, shouldn't an apology kind of move us along the path to reconciliation, to Mm -hmm. forgiving them uh, we are a country and a culture of second chances and uh, oftentimes many more than that, many more chances than that. But it, 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 has that changed recently, in, in your opinion, Robin, with, with social media yeah. and people being so, so venomous on social media? Is it is it harder even to make a mistake, even if you apologize nowadays?
2: Yeah, I think uh, just in society, even away from social media, we have these very short branches. You know, you may in my day, we extend, to this day, I extend a lot of olive branches. I give people the benefit of the doubt. I want to find out more to the story before I start to uh, discredit you or slander you. I just want to find out. Um, that's my era. That's where I come from. But I noticed that with social media, that's just the name of the game. You know, we, we cancel people far quicker than what we, we've ever done. We used to give so many pe- people so many chances but we're quick to do this whole cancel culture thing, which I don't believe in, by the way. Um, but we're so quick to do it because, number one, I think that in social media, there's two things that I, I noticed. Number one, everybody wants a voice. Everybody wants to have a voice. They, they want a platform to speak, which is why doing radio is so powerful. Podcasts are so powerful when you, when you have the ability and a platform to speak people tune in because, um, you may be speaking for them. You may be standing in solidarity with what they believe. So that's number one. And then number two, people want power. So if you can collectively come to come together and say, yeah, we cancel you that give that empowers you. And that's what people are looking for on social media. So it has expedited, you know, uh, this, this, this thing of cancel culture and this sensitivity and, uh, not extending any, any olive branches anymore, giving second chances
0: for sure. You mentioned that everyone wants power. And when we come forward, I want to ask you about just the difference in power now, and in, in terms of being a celebrity and being on social media, because before social media, celebrities, they were untouchable. They they were inaccessible. You couldn't just talk to a celebrity and they might they might talk back to you just from your house. You know, you maybe you could you happen to see them out. Somewhere and then you can maybe you'll get a response from them Uh, and so it's it's a completely different life now to be a celebrity and also maybe less people were canceled back then because they didn't have the platform to say something stupid like they do now. so <laughs> when we go forward I, I want to uh, talk to you about that difference in in both uh, whether celebrities have kind of given up some power by being on social media being accessible and whether, the uh, stars in, in, in past days maybe were were as stupid as, as some people are now, but they just didn't have the access to to, to show us all how dumb they were. We're gonna talk about that when we come forward right here on KBLA Talk 1580. And we're back on Ariva Martin in real time. It's Afi Bernard in for Ariva Martin today. So very pleased to be joined by Robin Ayers. I almost called you Dr. Robin Ayers because you just you be breaking all this stuff down. <laughs> I'll be that today. I'll be that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be that. L- 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 man, I haven't heard that song in a long time. Anyway, uh, but uh, Robin, you are the host of the Raw Report, which uh, takes place every weekday here on KBLA, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific. So w- what do you think about the, the power dynamic we were speaking about earlier? Do celebrities uh, have less power now that they are accessible? I know on, on the one hand, you can kind of it, it, maybe it's more cathartic because you're able to share your thoughts on more things. You have a platform where you'll share your thoughts on like, on, like Twitter, which is weirdly now called X, but uh, <laughs> on a place like Twitter, you can share your thoughts and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people will see it. And you can, that's kind of a way of you to, to get, make your voice heard where as uh, being a celebrity before, maybe in eighties, nineties, and, and obviously before that, um, that, that didn't exist ha- have celebrities given up some power in that regard.
2: Um, yeah, let, I'll answer that in a second. But to your to your point about Twitter, I'm not sure if anybody's ever going to call it X. It's So it's similar to, you know, you've been here in L.A. and calling the Staples Center Crypto Like, I'm just not sure it's going to catch on. But hey, who am I to say that? Uh, <laughs> so I digress on that.
0: We're um, all of us. We're all of us. Because I I, I agree. I don't I kind of refuse to call it X. It's just super duper lame.
2: Yeah, no, it's forever going to be Twitter. So, <laughs> um but yes, to a to a large degree, I feel as though celebrities have given up their power. Um, they've lost their star power with uh, being so accessible. Just think about in the days of you know we just sort of talked about like in the in the sixties and the seventies and even in the eighties or any time before social media, right? So when you have people who are um, huge stars, Michael Jackson and and Diana Ross and you, you know Prince, people like that. They had such a star power. It was a quality about them. It was a quality. And, and, and furthermore, they were just not accessible to the average person. Now you can tweet and possibly even get a response from your biggest celebrities. And uh, although on one hand, look at the evolution. That's pretty cool. Like, that's pretty cool. That's something that we would have loved to have back in the day just as an average person. But you know, nowadays it's like, come on, you know, you have sort of uh, leveled the playing field with us, with 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 average, you know, everyday people, because you're on social media giving your 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 input just like the rest of people. So when you think about someone like uh, a, a power couple like Beyonce and Jay Z, I'm sure that Beyonce, to a certain degree, has learned in her, you know, between her and Jay Z, they've talked about it and discussed a format, a plan for their stardom and for their lives to say, we, we're not average. They know the difference. They know that they have to be separate from everybody else and still hold on to some of those qualities that they, that they sort of uh, deemed necessary, like the people from back in the day. So yeah, um, to your, your question, absolutely. It's cool on one hand, but then on the flip side, you're, you're, you can't deny they've definitely lost some, some star power there.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think Jay Z is really on Twitter like that, and I don't, I don't think I'm not sure about if Beyonce is either. Maybe she's on Instagram. I'm not, I'm not even sure. But if, if so, they're definitely not active. Uh, they don't like, engage. Yeah, they don't. They do engage. not
2: engage. If they, if they post some things, it's for you to see. it. They're posting what they want you to see, and so think about uh, how elusive that is. So that when they do come out, so Jay-Z has been known to be a part of like the Twitter conversations. You know how you can do sort of like a clubhouse on Twitter uh, when they've done uh, Beyonce, first of all, has never done it. But when they when Jay-Z has done several things like that, it ensures that everybody is going to show up because it's a big, big deal. But to uh, what you were saying uh, before um, on the break before. You you're right about the fact that people, I'm sure Beyonce and Jay-Z, I'm just using them as an example, by the way, but uh I'm sure that they do say dumb things. I'm sure that they do commit certain dumb acts, you know, but they're not on social media talking about it. There you you'll never really find camera cameras, you know, picking up some of the things that they say or do. And that's because they are smart enough to they know that social media is a tool, so they can use it as a tool when it's necessary. But they they're also not using it to their every disposal. Just saying, hey, let's just go ahead and and you know put all of our thoughts out there. So, um, it it saves them and it <laughs> saves them on one hand. I just think it's a smart business move, to be honest with you.
0: I completely agree. And it it's like if uh if the, the old question if if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around here, it doesn't make a sound. If you say something stupid and there aren't any cameras around and you don't say it on social media, does anybody hear it? Did 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 you actually say anything stupid? We don't know. Like like I've I've said on your show, cameras or uh, videos or it didn't happen. Um,
2: That's
0: right. I want to ask you about hip hop's 50th anniversary. We're getting ready to celebrate the 50th anniversary of hip hop uh, with DJ Cool Herc, just uh, impromptu just kind of creating a whole genre and a whole culture in, in 1973 uh, and something that would become so near and dear to all of us. Uh, seeing as how we're getting ready to celebrate, or we, we are celebrating 50, the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, how much influence has hip-hop had in all areas uh, of the entertainment industry? Do you, do you think that hip-hop ha- has kind of shaped the entertainment industry as a whole in, in, in you being an entertainment industry professional, uh, how do you see hip hop in everything you do? I mean, is it how, how much of an impact has hip hop had? I mean, it may seem like a broad question, and you can kind of take it wherever you want to take it. But it, it feels like hip hop changed the trajectory of the country and the world, not just uh, of black people. But uh, what do you make of uh, the impact hip hop has had?
2: Well, I think you said it, Avi. It, it, it has literally changed the world, uh, let alone our country, obviously. Um, it is the largest genre, period, known to man at this. It's the, it's the most money making. You see it in every aspect of, of daily life. You turn on your television, you see commercials using slang that's considered hip hop. You see it in the fashion, the way we dress. Um, you see it everywhere, you see it in fonts. You know, corporate America, they'll use font styles that are of maybe uh, that have sort of uh, a a graffiti slant in them. Um, It is literally in every dynamic of, of just waking up in the morning, you will see it. And so we may not attribute it to hip hop, but it's like, if you know, you know. Now, me, I'm one of the people who from a very one of my very first experiences in California, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I came here when I was four. When I was four years old and I came to to California, I lived in Carson and with my grandparents and I had my own TV in my room. I came before the rest of my family, by the way, my mom, my dad, sister, and brother were still in Milwaukee. So they kind of gave me everything. They were like, here, you know, here's the TV, here's candy, here's, you know, all the stuff that I wanted. And I remember watching TV and the early videos of the Beastie Boys and Fat Boys and uh, you know, Run DMC, Big Daddy Kane. Big Daddy Can was my very first CD, Heavy D, MC Light, Queen Latifah, all the ones that came, you know, after. And uh, it was just so impactful for me then, and even to this day, to be here and to see the impact that it's had on the world. And then to even be able to talk to some of these people who were the founders of hip hop is really a surreal thing for me. Um, I recently spoke to Big Daddy Kane, who was just like, you know, uh, gave me shouts out and I was able to give him his flowers. So I'm enjoying, uh, where it's going. I'm enjoying the impact. I wish that it was given a little bit more credit, uh, but we'll get there. It's only 50 years old. We'll get there.
0: Only 50 years old. You mentioned you came here when you were 20. um, I'm sorry. When you were four, Robin, that means you've been (laughs) here about 20 years now. So that's, a, Just that's only a,
2: 20 years.
0: Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah, you, you <laughs> when, you, when you break things down, it's not that long of a time. So uh, no. really appreciate you taking the time to to talk with us today, Robin, and kind of introduce our audience to you. I can't believe it's taken this long to have your debut appearance on Ariba Martin real time. We will certainly be having you back soon. But uh, how can how can people keep up with you on social media? Uh, well,
2: I, I appreciate you, Avi. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's been an honor. You can all you can find it. Don't change the channel. That's where you can find me. You can <laughs> stay tuned because I'm coming up right now on the other side with the Rob report with Robin Ayers. But outside of that, on social media, everybody can follow me at Robin Ayers. A Y E R S. That's how it's spelled.
0: Just like Roy Ayers. I never asked you that. Is there any relation?
2: There's no relation, but I get that question all the time.
0: I, I bet you do. I just want to make sure. I just wanted to make yeah. sure for all so they can they can just be aware if there was. But Robin, (laughs) appreciate you. You're coming up next right now on KBLA with the Raw Report, as you do every weekday from 6 to 7 p.m. Really appreciate you. And make sure you you take a listen to what Robin has coming up for you. I know it's going to be a great show. As for now, I'm Avi Bernard, and I am gone.